Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. You might seem like you have a very calm demeanor, but inside it's like you're super excited. Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara and I will be your host for today's show. And I am joined by Blazer's Edge feature editor, Eric Griffith. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hi, Tara. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you today. I want to start off right off with the true confession, though. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, actually, I'm going to ask you a true confession. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready anymore. (laughs) Are you watching the NBA Finals? I've been watching about the first three quarters of every game before I get sad and turn it off. <laughs> well, you're watching more than I am. I I was so excited when the first game came on, and I was like, that first, you know, four or five minutes, I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to be like 69 to 70. It's going to be awesome, and everyone's going to play all this great defense. And then it just kind of fell off the rails, or I don't, I don't even know what happened. It was... Uh, it was not very fun to watch, and so I turned it off, and I didn't even watch the most recent game. But I'm definitely going to watch game three. So I have, I have a little fact that might make you feel better. Games one and two last year, the total margin of victory was, I think it was 48 points. And games one and two this year, it was either 43 or 44. And so things were actually just as uncompetitive last year as they are this year, and look how that turned out. So there's hope that this will be exciting. Well, you know, and everybody knows you can't ever truly count LeBron out. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the team can come up with. What did you think about the parts that you have seen? Do you think that there's anything that the Cavs can do to hold off the team from the Bay Area? And more importantly, how are the Trailblazers going to withstand it next year? (laughs) The season's almost over. You can almost say Warriors again. You have about hopefully oh, no. two to five more games. No, this oh, is no. an ongoing ban. No, I have I have internalized my desire not to say their name out loud, and now I don't even think about it anymore. Most of the Ooh, time. I see. I see. Um, I think it's interesting that the the Cavs seem to be playing the same fast breaking freelance style the Warriors are, and so I wonder if they're going to try to go a little slower and maybe start posting LeBron up and try to play a little more in the half court just to keep the Warriors out of their comfort zone, because I don't think the Cavs can keep up with a game. This final score is 130 to 120, so they'll have to change something about that. You know, I honestly think most of the time that there's like two games going on and that the Cavs have some whole secondary strategy where they're using psychology to get into their heads and they're going to turn things around. I mean, sure, last season they were helped out by injuries and by Draymond and all this other stuff. But I really think that there's a lot more gamesmanship going on. You know me, I love gamesmanship. But I really mm-hmm. think there's there's some going on and I, I'm really hoping to see it because a, uh, a 4-0 series really wouldn't be very fun. I just really don't want the Warriors to go undefeated in the playoffs. That would make me annoyed. You know, I don't know. I've been I've been trying to think about what it is about that team because they really do play 
beautiful basketball. It's really quite enjoyable. Do they? I, it's quite uh, enjoyable to watch. I mean, I really like watching the, the ball movement. I mean, anytime you get to watch people, you know, just dead-eye hit those shots, it's it's pretty nice to watch. But I like the more compelling story where it looks like it's a little bit harder, where I like watching the underdog fight against, you know, the um, the more powerful team. And I'm just not, not seeing it much this year right now. Yeah, I kind of, um, I'll admit, I liked, I actually liked the Spurs from a few years ago a little more, the, when they were really passing the ball, and before Kawhi became an MVP candidate, I liked, I enjoyed watching them more against the Heat than I have against the, the Warriors and Cavs series. I think we'll, we'll survive it, and the, the Blazers will be back in it again. We're actually taping this on June 5th, the 40th anniversary of the Trailblazers championship. Which is super exciting. I'm a little sad that we're still celebrating the one forty years ago because that means there hasn't been one since then. But that's okay. Hey, at least still we a happy have one. day. Exactly. It's better than being a Suns fan. They have none. Exactly. We have one. We can hold on to that. I'm actually wearing my Blazers seventy seven t shirt and I just went out for a walk before we uh, started recording and I had three people yell out of their cars at me at what I was wearing. And this is the only time that is acceptable when you can <laughs> yell at somebody about what they're wearing is if you lean out the car and go, Go Blazers. So it was a kind I'll of I'll make fun a walk. note. Blazer cat calls are acceptable. Noted. <laughs> they are. Um, but that's, how, you know, so so people in Portland, we've, you know, we've sort of moved on uh, from the end of the season. We're getting ready to see what happens next. We're in the, the second season now with uh, drafts and free agency coming up. You live back east uh, in the Boston area. How are folks in Boston feeling after the Eastern Conference Finals? So... Blazer fans aren't going to like this, but Boston, for Boston fans, the Eastern Conference Finals were almost an afterthought because they're so excited about the future of this team. They kind of saw this as like a cherry on top of the Sunday, and making this playoff run was just you know a nice bonus because they didn't expect to win it this year, and they still have the number one overall pick. And so getting the Conference Finals was just, you know, cool, more basketball. And getting a win. Yes, exactly. They, uh, they did a better job than the teams before them. So, yeah, it was all around considered a highly successful season for Celtics fans. Well, that's all the love I'm going to give them because we're going to have a long <laughs> dynasty where it's going to be us and them fighting each other off. I'm calling it now. I hope so. I guess Markel Fultz will uh, have that Pacific Northwest connection and he can be the, the fulcrum point of the feud. Uh, one can dream, can't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're pretty excited about their draft pick. Obviously, they would because mm-hmm. they have the number one pick. People in Portland are feeling pretty optimistic, too, because uh, most people know that the Trailblazers have three first-round draft picks. No second-round draft picks. That's correct, right? That is correct. So so three first-round draft picks, though, that seems like a pretty good thing um, mm-hmm. because it gives us options. And there have been a couple of articles on Blazer's Edge recently about some of the, uh, the options um, that having three first-round draft picks affords the, the team. And many, a lot of people, even like myself included, we think that we're going to trade at least one of those picks. Uh, you know, we don't have room on the roster unless we cut a bunch of people in the in the first place. And also, like people have been talking about, draft picks are assets. But what I really want to get to today and why I'm happy to have you on because you understand all this stuff really well is I really want to get to understanding what are the rules around draft picks? 
So like, uh, what, what are the things that we need to know and understand about uh, trading draft picks and how they are an asset so that as the rumors come up over the next few weeks, we can uh, kind of look at the rumors and determine whether or not that's even feasible, if these things are possibilities, and kind of understand how it's going to work. So you ready for some questions? I'm ready to go <laughs> on the hot seat. Oh, don't think about it like that. Just think about it like you're helping me understand what's going on. Uh, let's see. Let me start off by maybe you could uh, give us a few points about what are just the basic rules about trading draft picks. Yeah, so the most basic rule is that it's called the Ted Stepien rule, and it is that you cannot trade future draft picks in two consecutive seasons, future first-round draft picks in two consecutive seasons. So you can't be looking ahead to your future and say, oh, I don't have draft a first-round draft pick in 2017 or 2018. The Stepien rule, I'm going to guess, was named after somebody. It was named after the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the early 80s, and he traded away so many of his first-round picks that the team just tanked and had no way of recovering. And then he tried to sell the team, and the league had to literally give them new draft picks to talk someone into into buying the team from him because they were such a disaster in the 80s. Other owners had to agree to give back draft picks so that he could have, so that the new owners could have them? They added supplemental draft picks. And so if you go back and look, they traded away their own, and then when he sold the team, they added extra picks into the draft for Cleveland, basically. And so as a result of him you know, really messing up that franchise, the league said, all right, you know what? You have to hang on to a first-round pick every other year so that you can't end up in this unrebuildable situation again. Okay, so I want to get a little bit more specific about uh, about the Stepien rule. So last year, the Trailblazers, we did not have a draft pick, but we ended up with Jake Lehman. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. We did not have a pick, but we were able to purchase, I believe, the draft rights to Jake Lehman. Yes, the Blazers had traded away their pick last season to the um, Denver Nuggets, or two years ago, in the Aaron Aflalo deal. So the Blazers did not have a first round overall pick. But we have, we ke- so, but we kept our own this year. Correct. The Blazers have their own pick this year. And so next year we could get rid of, we could get rid of our next year's draft, first round draft pick. The Blazers can actually trade all of their first-round draft picks this year. The important thing to remember is that this has to do with future draft picks. And so once last year has ended, once that draft is over, it doesn't apply to the next season. So just because the Blazers didn't have a first-round pick in 2016 doesn't mean they can't trade all of their 2017 first-round picks. It just has to be that if you look into the future, you don't have two consecutive years in the future with no draft picks. Okay, that makes sense. So if this year we trade away all three of our draft picks and we end up with no draft picks, next year we can't trade our draft pick. Uh, actually, next year, as long as they wait until after this year's draft, then they could trade that 2018 draft pick. Okay. So if we trade away all of our draft picks this year... Yes. At the draft... Yes. Do I mean, like before the draft or after the or at the draft? It, Does it doesn't matter? necessarily matter. As soon as that draft is over, if the like, let's say the Blazers trade away all their 2017 picks. Okay, they can't before the draft trade all their 2017 picks and their 2018 picks. I got it. Okay, yes. So we can't trade all the draft picks and next year's pick before the draft exactly. is over. But after exactly. the draft, then we could do it. Then they can, yeah. Then they can trade the 2018 pick. But, for instance, they wouldn't be able to trade the 2018 or the 2019 pick 
um, looking into the future because those years haven't happened yet. So as soon as a, a draft is completed, that's in the past, no longer applicable to the Stepien rule. And I'm making hand gestures so you understand this. I'll be sure I draw a diagram too for the internet. <laughs> I'll draw a little stick figure of you, uh, of you gesturing. Okay, that mm-hmm. makes sense. I, I'd heard about the Stepien rule, and I knew that that you couldn't trade your draft picks two years in a row. But I wasn't uh, clear about how that little caveat worked. That once you're done, you're done, and you have a clean slate for the future. You ready for my super good hoop ideas, true hoop would call it, my way to fix the NBA draft? Of course. So I want a net corollary to the Stepien rule. As many of us probably remember, the uh, Mikhail Prokyov, I hope I'm not butchering his name, the Nets owner, traded away like four consecutive years of picks to the Celtics. Oh. That's how they have that number one pick, and then they have the Nets pick next year. But what he did was every other year he made it so that they had swap rights. And what that means is that the Celtics can exercise the right to trade position their pick's position with the Nets. And so what that did, though, was that meant that the Celtics had four consecutive super high draft picks, and the Nets had four, either no pick or a very low pick for four consecutive years. And so I would argue the rule should be changed so that you have to keep your own pick. For two, um, you have to keep your own pick, and you can't just say, I have a first-round pick. You look confused. There's like a whole bunch of stuff going on in there. And one thing I want to know is the tell me again about what Brooklyn did. So they this was in the trade um in let me make sure I get the year right. This was in the um in 2013 they traded Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry, or they acquired Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry from the Boston Celtics. As part of that trade, they sent a bunch of draft picks to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, they sent first-round draft picks in 2014, 2016, and 2018 to the Celtics. Okay, and they did that every other year so that they would not violate the Stepien rule. Exactly. Those weren't consecutive years, so they said you can have our 2014, 2016, 2018 pick. Okay. In addition to that, they gave the Celtics the option to swap their for their pick in 2017 and so what that means is the celtics could say could choose between the nets pick and the celtics pick depending on who had who had a worse record basically oh man a lot of things had to come together but they sure did and so they weren't breaking the rule because they still had a first round pick in 2017 it's just it wasn't their own pick it was tied to the celtics instead and so now what happened is it's basically like they lost three consecutive first round picks because they lost the 2016 and 2018 picks outright and now they gave up their number one overall pick in 2017. So it really hampered their ability to rebuild. That was a nice little bit of trickery. Oh, I love this. I love this. I love this trickery in there. But mm-hmm. this stuff is so complicated. Um, it is. It, 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 it's, getting, it's getting clearer. Let's talk about a specific scenario with the Trailblazers. Right now, we've been hearing that there are two teams who are interested in the Trailblazers picks, New York and uh, New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently, even according to sources, there's uh, talk going on between New York and the Trailblazers. We don't know um, what it is, but, uh, but somebody has reported that it has to do with picks. So what does this really mean? What could actually happen? What are some things that could not happen? I don't want to go into like specifics about specific players, but what are some things that could happen in this uh, scenario? So just very, very briefly, the Blazers are over the salary cap. And so 
they have to if they trade away or if they acquire players, they have to basically send out the same amount of salary as they bring in. Mm-hmm. So teams that are under the salary cap could say, "We're going to give you this draft pick. Give us a player back, and you can get a player who's making you know a lot of money." The Blazers can't do that because they're so, or they can do it, but they have to be you know they they can't do it for any major contracts. Nobody with like a big big right. salary. So we're not giving them Alan Crab for that would work because the Blazers are sending out a bunch of money. The Blazers can't take in a bunch of money. Like the Blazers couldn't say, "We're going to give you all three of our first round picks and Mo Harkless, who doesn't, you know, only makes tenth only makes yeah. tenth million a year for Carmelo Anthony because he makes like thirty or whatever." And so the Blazers would be taking on a lot of salary in that scenario. So they can't trade their pick for a player. Basically, they might be able to under like very specific circumstances, but as a general rule, the Blazers can't send out a pick and take back a player. But we could send out a pick with a player. Yeah, and so people use the draft picks as... Um, yeah, so that's one way around that. You could send out a player um, who you don't want anymore with the pick and then get back another player from the uh, the Knicks in return. And so sometimes you package like a guy with a draft pick and he's just kind of there for salary reasons and he's not actually really... The other team's not really that interested in having him. What's the situation with um, with a salary dump? Talk about talk about how picks could be involved in a salary dump. Yeah, they they would absolutely be involved. And so a salary dump would be the Blazers are way over the luxury tax right now, which means they're going to be paying just massive and massive amounts of money. And we don't know whether or not Paul Allen's really okay with that for a team that was 500 last season and you know isn't necessarily going to be contending for a title as constructed. Um, some people think he's you know, he owns Microsoft or second richest owner in the league. He doesn't care. But he said in an interview about five years ago with the Oregonian that he does care and he's not really willing to do that again like he did in the early 2000s. And so there's some conversation about whether or not the Blazers, because they didn't do very well last season, are going to need to just send out some money to lower that payroll um, for him. And then that gets even more serious when you think about Yusuf Nurkic and they're going to have to give him a maximum or near maximum contract after next season. And then the salary is going to go way, way up. I totally, I've, I, I've read all of those articles and I have um, ulcers and I stay <laughs> up at night worrying about all of that stuff. <laughs> so what are the, some of the options that the Blazers could do uh, to shed some of that salary using these draft picks? Yes. And so let's say they do want to shed salary because I know some people don't think they do. So I just want to add that caveat. If they choose to go that route, what you do is you package it. The, the term is packaging a pick and a player together. And so let's say that you decide Myers Leonard, you don't want him on the team anymore, you don't want to pay him, and you just want to get him out of town. You would offer the Knicks a draft pick and Myers Leonard in exchange for nothing. And then the Knicks would have to pay Myers Leonard's contract, but they would get a draft pick for free out of it. So that sounds familiar. We've done that before. The Trailblazers have done that before. Mm-hmm. The Blazers took on Brendan Haywood's, or actually Anders and Verizow's contract with a draft pick, and that's how they ended up with the Cavs draft pick this year. And that lowered the Cavs' salary and created a trade exception and a whole bunch of little bookkeeping stuff. Um, but the big the big thing was, since the Blazers were willing to pay Anders and Verizow's contract, they in return got a draft pick from the Cavs. But I thought when you made a trade, you had you have to trade things for like equal amounts. So like if the Blazers are trading... Um, like when you, you know, when you start up the trade machine, you have to make sure that the two columns are you know within um, a certain range. So if uh, Myers Leonard is making what like eleven million next year or ten million next year, um, mm-hmm. and a draft pick, how can we just give it to them for nothing? 
Um, so when the team is under the salary cap, they don't have they can take on more salary than they send out. And so the Knicks, if they get rid of Derrick Rose, which they're possibly going to do, are going to have a whole bunch of money available to them. And so they can take on salary without sending any back to the Blazers. Okay, so, they're only, so far under. they only have to match when they're when they're both in the same situation of being over the salary cap. Exactly. Got it. See, all these things are becoming clearer. The one thing, the caveat is that the Blazers can't, or that the Knicks can't, the, the Knicks have to send something back to the Blazers in the trade. In the NBA, you can't get nothing. You can't get a, you know, you can't get an asset for free essentially. But the league makes it the like the there's the bare minimum requirement is seventy five thousand dollars. So you can send back seventy five thousand dollars. I might want to fact check that. Um, okay. <laughs> hope I'm right. So so they make you send cash. They make you send cash. A top 55 protected pick, which means that you have to send them a second-round draft pick that only goes to the other team if it's in the final five choices. So basically nothing unless you're a very elite team. Or a the draft rights to a player who's playing overseas who might someday come to the NBA. And so you, you do have to send them a tiny, you know, a, a, a tiny bit of asset, basically, mm-hmm. in return. And that's how the Blazers got Mo Harkless. The Blazers sent the Magic... A second round draft pick that is never going to go to the Magic. And so it was basically an imaginary draft pick. And the Magic sent them Mo Harkless in return because they didn't want to pay his salary anymore. You brought up um, players overseas. And there's something that people always talk about in draft time called draft and stash. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of the rules around draft and stash? The rules are basically, so in the NBA, when you're drafted, you're tied to the team that drafted you. In the, for first-round picks, you're tied to the team that drafted you um, until you've played out your first three seasons, essentially, or until they decide that they are going to renounce your, the draft rights, which means that you can sign with anyone. When a player goes overseas, the team retains the rights to the player they drafted. And so what it basically means is that you can draft someone like Ricky Rubio did this, Rudy Fernandez did this, um, and they, they can stay with their team in Spain or wherever for a couple of years, they can get better, and then when they decide they're ready for the NBA, they can come over to you a few years later. For a team like the Blazers, this might be appealing because you don't have to pay that player right away. So it doesn't count against the salary cap? You, the the player the the player who plays overseas and the team have to sign a written agreement that that player will not sign with that team until the following season. And once they've signed that and turned it into the league, it no longer counts against the salary cap. That player doesn't count. So the team that they're playing for is basically agreeing to pay for them. Uh, well, they're just continuing their contract in Europe or you know wherever overseas, and the NBA team and the player are basically just signing a piece of paper that says we're going to defer this contract a year, and so it doesn't have to count against our salary cap this season. Okay, okay. So because of the fact that we have a, a pretty full roster, we don't want to be taking on any more money for sure. We don't want to be taking on any <laughs> taking in any more uh, contracts. A draft and stash is something that it might be possible. Didn't we just do that with uh, Danny Diaz? Uh, yeah, that, I think he was a second-round pick, um, which those rarely pan out. Um, yeah. I think Rudy Fernandez is probably the one most people are going to remember. Um, the Blazers wanted to draft and stash Nick Batum, but he more or less said, no, I want to come play now, and that <laughs> worked out, actually. Um, I, you know, I, I would be, I'd almost be surprised if the Blazers do that. I think it's more likely they're going to package Myers with a pick and send out a pick and keep a couple players just because they do need some young, talented player. They need some more talent, basically, and so rolling the dice on those draft picks while Lillard and CJ are still pretty young, I think is probably the right move. 
Do you think that they're going to use all three of them, or do you think they're going to? Do you think so? You think they're going to do some trading? I think just based on the way that Neil O'Shea was talking about Myers Leonard at the press conference, I think that he wants to in, at the final press conference. I think it seems like he probably wants to trade him, and so I think packaging Myers Leonard with a draft pick seems pretty likely. Um, I'd imagine they'll want to keep that 15 pick just to try to get some talent out of it, though. Do you think one of those lower, we have what, the 20 and 20? 15, 20, and 26. And 26. Do you think 20 and tw- or 26 is, is enough of an incentive? Or do you think we might get held to the uh, fire for wanting a, a higher one? I have no idea. I don't think, it seems unlikely he'd give up the top pick just to get rid of some salary. I don't think he would. I don't, that, yeah, it seems like it not necessarily a failure, but that seems like kind of a, a lateral step and doesn't help the team progress at all. So to get back to my what I was talking about, um, firing up the trade machine, you know, when I hear rumors, that's kind of one of the first things that I do is I go and I try to figure out if it's even feasible money wise. But I don't know how to do that when picks are included, because at least the trade machine on ESPN that I use, I can't find a little drop down <laughs> that says include a draft pick. So what are the value of how do people value draft pick when they're doing these deals? How do they value them financially or how do they value them as far as what you can give? Okay. So financially, they do not count against your salary cap until after the pick has occurred. And so they're, when you're thinking about that matching salaries, they, they don't matter. You can send out, within the stepping rules, you can send out as many picks or as few picks as you want. Um, I think there's also a limit of, I think, seven years into the future is the furthest you can trade one. I forget exactly, but there is a limit to how far in the future you, so that you can trade them. So the Blazers can't trade their 2030 pick right now, for instance. Um, but yeah, they don't really count for the salary matching purposes, which is why you don't see them in the trade machine. But they will count. They will be added to the salary. So if you're in the luxury tax, it's just going to keep going up, right? I mean, yes, so once they won't prevent the trade because of money reasons, but you still have it's not like you don't have to pay for it. It's still going to accrue on top of your whole salary yes. cap. Yes. So before the draft pick is made, it doesn't count against your salary. Once the draft pick is made, then for that upcoming season, that player is added to the salary for the upcoming season, basically. And the, the rookies all get a set amount based on when they're, where they're picked in the draft. So the earlier you're picked, the more money you make. And that's set by the NBA and the players. And so once that first round pick has happened, for the next season, they add the, the, the scale salary that he's set to get from the league to the, con, to the, to the salary cap. Um, and then the, the team negotiates with him and signs, you know, relatively close to that amount of money. Okay, okay, this is all starting to fall into place. M- my question for you is, uh, when you hear rumors, what goes through your mind? What What's the little, like, the, the, the checklist that goes off in your head to try to evaluate whether or not the rumor seems like a, a good idea, seems like it might actually come true? What goes through what goes through Eric Griffith's head? <laughs> um, number one, I look at the so I every time I open up the team's salary page to see what their what their salary cap situation is because that really dictates the moves almost every single team makes um, because with rare exceptions, teams are just not willing to go into the luxury tax and so I want to understand how much money they're going to be paying people um, and then I want to look to see if it is a like if it fits historically with other trades that have happened. Mm-hmm. So, like, we know a couple years ago that Nick Batum, with one year left on his contract, wasn't good enough to net a lottery pick, according to Neil O'Shea. He could get Noah Vonley out of out of it, but he couldn't get, like, a, a top-ten pick 
um, with only one year left on Nick Batum's contract. And so if you hear a rumor that some player with one year left is being traded for a number three pick or something, I start to get a little skeptical just because that hasn't been the going rate historically. So say that again. So if you if you hear a rumor that like a a really a, a player who has a, just a year left on their contract, so you know that they're going to be up for a bunch more money at, at the end of the next season. When you hear that somebody like that is being um, is up for a trade that involves a draft pick, you don't really necessarily think it's going to be for like a high lottery pick. Exactly. If you start to see rumors for those one or two or three picks, there it's really going to be for a player who's a bona fide all star. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if I'm not seeing that, I don't really necessarily take them too seriously because the going rate for picks of that level has been, I mean, those, those picks are never traded and are very rarely traded. And so, you know, it's only going to be for a very, you know, very good player. I have a, I called up a, a nice list. Somebody put together, um, it was actually, uh, hoop rumors put together a super straightforward list of, um, uh, draft picks by team for this upcoming season. Cause I was trying to figure out if I, if I was going to manufacture, uh, in my head, some draft scenarios with picks. Um, there's four teams this year who do not have any draft picks at all. Cavs and the team from the Bay area. Also, the Clippers and the Grizzlies, they don't, right now, they don't have any picks in the 2017 drafts. How likely do you think it would be that uh, either the Clippers or the Grizzlies or the other two teams might uh, be interested in a draft pick? I don't know about the Warriors. Um, I don't, they're not going to give a lot up. Uh, they have some salary issues. The Clippers are in a similar situation where they, it, it's hard to say because we need to know how, what they're going to decide to do with all of their. Um, with you know, with They're Chris Paul agents. and JJ Redick and Blake Griffin being free agents, it's hard to say whether or not they'd go after picks because it's going to depend a lot on whether or not they sign those guys and then what they can afford after that. And so that's kind of what I mean by the salary thing matters a lot because you need to know what direction the team's headed in and whether or not they're trying to win immediately or trying to win in a few years and and so forth. Um, Nobody's trying to win immediately except for, I guess, those <laughs> the Cavs and the team from <laughs> well, the Well, the Spurs might be. You know, if they oh, sign true. Chris Paul, then they're... <laughs> oh, I'm fascinated by that. I can't wait to see what plays out. Yes. Especially Chris Paul made a rule when he was negotiating the last collective bargaining agreement so he could get paid more for longer, but only if he stays with the Clippers. So I'm intrigued to see if he would do that. That's right. Will you summarize it again? It's players over the age, basically up to the age of 38, can continue to make a lot of money. Whereas before it was only players up to the age of, I think, 36 could continue to make a lot of money. And so it it gives him, um, his next contract is going to be the one that takes him over the age of 36, presumably. And so he, if he stays with the Clippers and signs for the most money he can sign with, he can sign for a lot. And I, I, I need to go back and check. I don't think the Spurs can offer the same amount. I'd have to go look a little more carefully. I'm sure someone else has written that article for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have another. We'll have to have another talk about uh, free agency. But to bring it back to the draft picks, um, so not only are those four teams they currently don't have any picks. There's two teams who don't who only have one second round pick. The Pelicans and the Wizards don't have any. They only the the Pelicans have number forty, and the Washington Wizards have number fifty two. That's it. So what I what I'm getting at as I'm looking at this list of teams and trying to figure out who might be most interested in draft picks, uh, especially the Portland Trailblazers draft picks. How uh, interested do you think the Pelicans or the Wizards might be in one of the Trailblazers picks? 
Um, I could see the Pelicans being more interested. They have are similar to the Blazers in that they have some undesirable contracts. <laughs> um, and so they also need to be shifting around their assets a lot to try to uh, get some more talent onto the roster because they haven't necessarily, you know, outside of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, they weren't necessarily winning a lot of games. And so they might be the type of team who would need an infusion of young talent. Um, and so, and then, like I said, they also have those questionable contracts. And so they're kind of, they're not in a good spot not having draft picks this year, basically. The Trailblazers are the only team that has three first round picks. But none of those are lottery picks. And so uh-huh. I'm sure, for instance, Neil Shea would trade the 15, 20, and 26 for like the number nine pick or something, for instance. And so it's key, it's good to keep in mind that other teams aren't necessarily looking at the Blazers' picks and saying, oh, wow, the Blazers are in the best situation no matter what. Um, pretty much any team picking probably in the top 10 or lower is in a better situation from an outside perspective than the Blazers with, as in, in regards to draft picks. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're like looking at the Trailblazers going, oh, look, they have those great picks. But instead, I think they're looking at them frequently, like, you know, yes. because they have, like I said, options at the beginning, yeah. you know. Having the multiple picks means the Blazers can be more active in trade. Like, if you have the number nine pick or just the number eight pick, and that's your only pick, you can't really listen to every single offer because you aren't nec- you're not going to give that up unless you get a lot in return. Whereas the Blazers, because they have these mid to low picks, are going to get a lot more phone calls because there's a lot more feasible trades out there when you have, because they basically have the entire back half of the lottery, a pick in every range of the back half of the lottery. And so they can go everywhere from doing a salary dump to packaging them all together to acquire one player to sending them out to move up higher in the draft and so they do have a lot of possibilities um, as far as who's going to be getting the most phone calls it'll be interesting to see i mean i guess the the do you think the phone is already starting to ring do you think or do you think it's going to be a draft night you know situation you know what what do you suppose it's like being in a front office in a situation like this um, I would imagine since we're already hearing rumors about the Nets and Knicks and we know that Neil O'Shea doesn't really leak a lot out of the front office unless he does it on purpose, and, um, I would imagine that the reporters have talked to the people in the Nets and Knicks front offices and those teams have been calling the Blazers. So the fact that those teams are calling the Blazers makes me think Neil O'Shea's um, phone is already ringing a little bit. Yeah, the Knicks have, they have number eight and then they have 44 and 58 and Brooklyn you're looking for Brooklyn uh they have the Celtics pick um which is going to be like 27 or whatever yeah because they are swapping it with the Celtics okay okay so they got their other one got it Mm -hmm. so I think it's going to be very interesting are there any other rules about um draft picks that we should know as we're on the lookout over the next two weeks for rumors so one thing to know is that sometimes trades, ha- so the NBA is pretty like pretty uptight about a- approving trades during the draft, as in they won't really approve trades during the draft. And so what happens is teams make handshake deals during the draft for picks. So the classic one Blazers fans know is LaMarcus Aldridge was selected technically by the Chicago Bulls at number two, and the Blazers selected Tyrus Thomas at number four, and they more or less swapped those picks. But... That doesn't mean the Bulls were the ones really selecting LaMarcus Aldridge. The Blazers were on the phone with them saying, oh, you need to pick LaMarcus Aldridge for us, and then tomorrow we'll fill out the paperwork and the league lets us. That happens a lot. Does it ever fall apart that you can that you know? Um, I don't know of. I would imagine if a team backed out of that, they probably, you know, 
they'd probably be sued by the other team and it would not go over well and no one would want to trade with that GM ever again. So, <laughs> Yeah, they'd be in big trouble and not make any friends on that one. Um, the other thing to know, too, is that, so for instance, let's say the Blazers want to trade Alan Crabb to the Nets and they want to include him, you know, include some draft picks in that trade. So Alan Crabb can't be traded until to the Nets until July 9th because he's, that's who he tried to sign with last season, so there's a one-year restriction on him going to the Nets. Okay. The other things teams do sometimes is on July 1st, the salary cap resets for the next season. So sometimes you can't acquire a draft pick until that happens for a very, you know, any number of different reasons. And so sometimes they wait until after July 1st to make that trade official. And so they agree on draft night. All right, it's June 25th or 23rd or whatever day it is. We're going to make these two picks for each other, but we're not going to announce it until we can file the paperwork on July 1st. And so that might, that might, but that might apply to Alan Crabb if the Blazers are interested in trading him because he can't officially be traded to the Nets until July 9th. So is it legal for them to make arrangements in advance with the other team and be like, or, you know, to talk to the other team about it and say, okay, we're going to draft so-and-so and so-and-so um on draft night and then we'll finish the deal once free agency starts or when the the time expires yes it absolutely is so it's not um, like collusion or something like that no, people no. are talking beforehand if you go back and look at the trades um so if you look at just the the, tr- the history of nba trades if you look at july 1st every year there's a you know there's not every year but many years there are trades that happen on july 1st that involve first round draft picks when you see a first-round draft pick that was traded on July 1st, that means that trade was almost certainly made before the draft, but they couldn't make it official until July 1st. Okay, that's good to know so that they can talk about it because there's, you know, we, there's uh, other rules about not talking to players in advance about things and um, good to know that in the draft that is, uh, that is okay. Yeah. Because also the teams talking to each other, so the teams can talk when you know the general managers can call each other whenever they want and agree ahead of time to stuff. Um, but they sometimes the rules just make them you know complete things at certain times. Got it. You know it's it's not big and fancy, but I did find a couple of fun facts that I wanted to share about the draft that I thought were super interesting. So the NBA draft started in 1947, and here's a fun fact. The first person who was drafted by the NBA, his name was Clifton McNeely. He actually never ended up playing professionally in the league. <laughs> so way to start off the draft, guys. <laughs> wow, that was some terrible scouting. Number one overall pick ever. Never made it. Yeah, yeah. So so here's a... Do you know who made that pick? Do you have that in front of you mm-hmm. by chance? I don't have it handy okay, by chance. that's fine. <laughs> the, um, uh, the, the draft... The NBA draft currently has two rounds. They have 30 teams and they have two rounds. So that's 60 picks altogether. And it's been that way since 1989. The NFL has 32 teams and they go seven rounds and that takes two days, which sounds like way too much time to me. So something I discovered recently during the last NFL draft, which I didn't know about, um, I was poking around on Reddit and people, like, get really excited about the NFL draft. They have, like, parties and stay and watch the whole two days. And it's, it's like a whole subculture of NFL fans that just love that draft for whatever reason. They like that about free agency, too? 
I don't know, but they are. I think they're above even my level of crazy fandom. You know, where I'm reading the CBA because I can. I could not get excited about watching two days of seventh round NFL picks to save yeah, my life. Yeah, <laughs> I remember flipping through the channel and watching some of it over the course of the two days and just thinking, "Wow, these like three minutes are just like interminable. <laughs> they just go on and on." Well, so yes. the, so they have seven rounds. The so the NBA. Um, has had uh, has has had the two rounds since 1989, but before that, they did have a few years that went quite a few rounds. Do you want to guess how what the maximum number of rounds the NBA ever had? Oh, I'm supposed to know this. I'm going to say seven. No more. <sighs> go up. Oh, it's not 13, is it? No, go up. What? <laughs> it's not 20, is it? In 1960 and in 1968, they had 21 rounds. Oh. How many, there were only like eight teams then, though, right? <laughs> sure, they had a lot of players. Well, uh, and there was probably, I bet those were expansions. Yeah, and so every team had a roster of, I guess, 30 players if they tried to sign all their draft picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you know in the first round how much time teams get? Is it uh, three minutes or five? I think it's three minutes, right? It's, it's five, and in the five, second yeah. round, it goes down. To three? It goes to two. Two, yeah. So the first round, they get five minutes and uh, two minutes in the second round. Okay, I have some random um, fun facts about people who got drafted by the NBA. Um, Okay, so we had the first person. We already learned about Clifton McNeely, who never played professionally. In 1984, Carl Lewis was drafted at number 208, the track and field star. And shoot, I don't have written down who he was selected by. You maybe already knew that one. It was the Chicago Bulls in 1984. Good job. 1984, Chicago Bulls drafted Carl Lewis. Never played. So they drafted Michael Jordan and Carl Lewis in the same season. Or in the same on the same day. That's a great day. To see if uh, the NBA ever did any uh, any more stunts like that. I don't think they'll ever do any stunts like that anymore. Well, when you have over 200 picks, you can start to uh, get a little silly, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, here's a good one. In 1977, New Orleans selected Louisa Harris as the 137th pick. She was the first woman officially drafted by the NBA, and she was pregnant at the time. Well, that was a bold pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually... In 1969, a woman was selected, but the league was did not allow it, and uh, because they said um, it was a publicity pick, and so they said it was invalid. So she does not get to go in the record books as the first person drafted. She was the first woman selected, but the first woman officially drafted, and like the NBA said, okay, was um, Ms. Louisa Harris. Interesting. You know, so what I like is people who are drafted into two leagues at the same time. Um, that's just, I think that's just really cool to imagine that someone could be drafted into pro basketball and baseball or whatever in the same year. And so Danny Ainge, Oregon native, always pops to mind because he yeah. was drafted by the Blue Jays and the Celtics, I believe, in the same year. And then obviously we have Pat Connaughton now on the Blazers, who is also more or less in kind of in the um, Orioles. Is it the mm-hmm. Orioles? The Orioles farm system. Yeah, as a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> when you when you think about it, like there's 450 people who play in the NBA at a time. And I think they said there's about 4000 people who've ever played ever. And there's a handful of people who were good enough at their sport that they got drafted in multiple leagues. And that just I mean, how good do you have to be for that? That's just amazing. <laughs> yes. 
that is some, some, some massive talent. Well, thank you so much for answering all of my questions about the draft. Do you have any additional uh, fun facts or things to keep in mind and over the next two weeks as the rumors build? Oh, I don't know. I, I will admit that I get less excited about the rumors and more excited about the actual trades. And so I'm really looking forward to the draft and the days after the draft when the trades actually start to happen. Because that's when I, I'm really into the salary cap stuff. And so that's when I really start to do a lot of reading about what just went down. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about any of the people that um, uh, people have discussed as possibly coming to the Trailblazers. I figure we would leave that for another time for um, maybe if Dan and uh, Dave want to cover that in a future edition. I know lots of people are talking about it on the on Blazers Edge. We've had a few articles come out about um, different people who um, people who, who may be selected by the Trailblazers. But I really wanted to take a step back and just understand how how the all how everything worked so i hope people got a lot out of it i know that i did i really appreciated what i learned yes and let me just give a quick shout out to david mckay our news editor at blazer's edge who has been coordinating he's been kind of the head guy coordinating all of those draft pick articles so major kudos to david david for keeping us you know, up to date and just aware that these college players exist because i don't do a lot of watching college basketball and so reading all these articles is super helpful they're fantastic. And then I always like follow down the rabbit hole of like, I go back to their college website and learn about them all about like what they were like and what their stats were. And you know, the guys who play like three or four years, there aren't a whole bunch that we've talked about. But they got a lot of stats and a lot of stuff to sift through on their mm-hmm. <laughs> on their college sites. Usually a lot of awards if you're around three or four years, there's usually a lot of awards that you get as yep. well. Yes. Well, um, before we go, I wanted to tell folks about a fun off-season activity that me and some uh, friends are putting together. We're starting an off-season book club. Have you heard about this yet, Eric? I want to join it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so some friends of mine who wanted something else to do in the off-season, especially right now while we're waiting for the draft and free agency to start, um, decided that we would all read the same book. And so we are going to read... Um, a book called Loose Balls. It's all about the ABA. It's by Terry Pluto. And anybody who wants to read along with it, we're going to do a podcast about it in a few weeks. We'll have it like a book club. I've never actually successfully read a book for a book club. Every time somebody asks me to join a book club, as soon as somebody tells me I have to read a book, I always like, well, I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. So this will be like, if I, if I finish it, it'll be like first successful foray into a book club. Wait, so the lady who's never read a book club book is trying to start a book club. Exactly. (laughs) Why not, right? This book is great, though. Um, Have you read Loose Balls, Eric? I will admit Loose Balls is probably my second favorite NBA book ever. I love that book. Yes. You want to give a little synopsis? Give give us your elevator elevator speech on why people should read it? So it's like a 450-page oral history of the ABA, um, and it's so. And the author Terry Pluto did an excellent job of just finding and interviewing all of the people who were movers and shakers of the league, and just the outrageous stories of trying to start a professional league from scratch in the 70s are a lot of fun. And especially, he gets you know a lot of those stories we hear about guys like Marvin Bad News Barnes originated with um with this book more or less or with interviews in this book and then there's also all kinds of blazers connections you know maurice lucas plays a major role for instance in the book and they talk about dave twardzik and some guys on that 77 team and so it's just it's just a lot of fun if you're a basketball um kind of history buff like i am 
I'm about a third of the way through it. And the, the format of the book is that he's done all of these interviews and he'll do like a few paragraphs at a time. He might like insert a couple pages of somebody talking at a time, but he's telling the story slowly and it's unfolding through the voice of all these guys who were with the league since the beginning. It's super entertaining. And um, yeah, anyone who wants to go to the local library or go to their bookstore and get loose balls, it's about the American. American Basketball Association, which started in what the six, the late sixties, and went to the late seventies. Nineteen sixty-seven to nineteen seventy-six, and the Blazers benefited when the ABA fell apart. They drafted, or well, they, spoiler alert, Eric. Oops, sorry. <laughs> they acquired Maurice Lucas and Dave Twardzik, who then led the or helped lead the Blazers to the nineteen seventy-seven NBA championship, the fortieth anniversary of which happened today. <laughs> nice. Full circle on the podcast. Yes, very good. But now, well, if people are not quite sure they want to learn more about the ABA, I would advise them to go watch the movie Semi Pro with Will Ferrell, which is a takeoff on the ABA and it's hysterical. And after you've read that, then you'll want to go read Loose Balls and uh, uh, talk about it with us. Uh, Eric, where can people find you on Twitter? I am on Twitter at Eric G underscore NBA. Um, you can, I think the Blazers Edge uh, page has me linked in their sidebar, so you can also, so you can follow me, um, you can either follow me or go to our blog account and find me that way. Um, I also write a, I think I'm writing regularly now on Thursdays, and I write a lot about the salary cap stuff right now because it's salary cap season, but I'll probably move on to some history columns once the, um, once the, the draft and the trades and everything are over. So if you have any questions about history or salary cap, about the Blazers. Send them my way, please. Woohoo! Salary cap season. Here we come. Well, you can find me at TCBBigs on Twitter. And everyone, don't forget to come on over to BlazersEdge.com to read all kinds of great articles written by a wide variety of authors. We're going to be putting up new content all summer long. So just because it's the off-season, that doesn't mean anyone's going to stop working. We're always digging for stories and things that are going to be interesting to everybody. So uh, don't um, forget to regularly check blazersedge.com even though the trailblazers might not be playing now and with that uh on behalf of eric eric thank you so much for being here today go blazers rip city baby Woo.